you're listening to the GP Soccer Podcast with your host, Giovanni Puccini. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Here's the great thing about podcasts. You can listen to them morning, noon, and night. So no matter when you're listening to this, I, I give you a, how about a good day? My name is Giovanni Puccini, and yes, this is the GP Soccer Podcast um, here on the podcast radio airwaves, I guess we call it. Uh, kind of exciting thing for me to do here, um, doing a podcast, because it combines a couple of passions that I have. One, which was an original career path. And the second one was a career path that I ultimately took. The, the first career path was to be in radio TV broadcasting. And uh, I was a kid. Picture this. I was a kid who just loved the radio. And I was fascinated by this little thing, this little box of sorts, if you will, that when you spun the dial, you could get voices or music or interviews or stuff from, you know, within that transmission area. And, you know, back in those days, it was AM and FM. AM predominantly when I was listening to the radio. And I used to remember at night, uh, because the reception was the best at night, spinning the dial and being fascinated that I could get a radio station from, say, New York. And I live in Boston. Or or spin the dial, which was real, this was really cool, like Quebec. And you get something that's French-speaking, something that was obviously very foreign to me. I became fascinated with the radio for this very, very reason, this little thing, uh, being able to pick up voices all across the airwaves. And I remember, you know, this having these transistor radios that at night when I was in bed kind of fiddling with the with the knobs, I'd fall asleep and the radio would still be on and the battery would die. So next morning I'd have a, a dead battery and I have to go out and buy new batteries. And so for the next night or two, I could spin the dial and find some of these cool places to listen to across my geographical area. Um, and that led to a, a fascination with maybe doing this as a career. And as I got a little bit older and I messed around with a tape recorder and a, I'm going to show my age here, folks, record player, right? So what I would do is I, I'd pretend I was a DJ and I would slip a little 45 into the little record player and I would drop the dial and I would you know, I'd give it a little bit of lead up, of course, of who the who the artist was and name of the song and and try to hit that post at the right spot. So when my voice ended, the song had begun and play the record and then kind of, you know, talk, talk about the, the, the song or the next uh, record that I was going to queue up on my little 45 turntable. And I would record these on an old fashioned um, tape deck of sorts, tape recorder. And I'd run upstairs and I would play it for my mother and my father and say, this is, you know, this is my little radio station. And for me, it was a, just a, a method or a mechanism by which I could just be one of those people that was able to put their voice kind of out there. Now, granted, it wasn't a radio, but I was putting my voice out there for my, my parents and friends to hear via the, by, by the tape recorder. It was just, just a cool thing to do. So as I got older, getting into high school, Radio and TV broadcasting, that was the way to go. And then, like a lot of things in life, things changed. I had discovered that I could uh, make a career path out of coaching soccer and, and teaching, particularly in physical education. I was a very active kid growing up. I was an athlete, pretty good athlete, if I do say so myself. Uh, soccer being the cornerstone of my athletic uh, life and career. Uh, I also played some hockey back in the back in the 70s uh, during the big bad Bruin era. Um, 
but mostly it was it was soccer. Um, so I thought this was the cool thing to do, you know, being able to to go into a gymnasium and teach physical education and then go outdoors and coach soccer. And ultimately, that's that's the path, you know, that I, I did indeed follow. Um, got out of college, played some college soccer, played a brief, brief period of professional soccer. If if you blink your eye, you will you'll miss my professional soccer career it was back in the old major indoor soccer league days because outdoor soccer at the time. Particularly here in the Boston area uh, and nationwide, the the old NASL had, had collapsed, and uh, there were very few places of which you could play at a, at a good level. But indoor soccer was just catching on, and I tried to latch on with a couple of teams. Didn't work out, which was fine. That absolutely was fine, because from there it segued in segued into uh, a teaching and coaching career. And as they say, the rest is history. I did 24 years as a physical education teacher in my hometown. Coached high school soccer, coached collegiate soccer, and uh, uh, got in, involved in coaching education and uh, in, in this game of soccer, football, culture, where I come from, uh, became my life. And it still is to this day. I don't coach anymore. I spent almost 30 years as a collegiate coach, successful one at that. Um, but I'm still very much involved uh, with United Soccer Coaches as a national staff coach, national goalkeeper staff coach. I'm the state director for... Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island for United Soccer Coaches. And I also work for uh, USYS as a East Region staff coach. And my newest soccer gig uh, added to the plate, if you will, is uh, I oversee training for New Hampshire ODP North, um, which is very cool for me because I have a house in northern New Hampshire. So it gives me another reason, folks, to get up north to my house up north. Um, and if it's during the winter season, we're doing winter training, I get to ski. Skiing is another topic for another day. So here I am in my studio uh, doing a podcast, combining my, my, my two passions, my, you know, two things I enjoy a great deal, broadcasting and uh, the sport of soccer. So here we are, GP Soccer Podcast, uh, getting it out there in your, in your podcast airways. Hopefully you enjoy the show. A, a little bit of premise about what my objective here is for, for GP Soccer Podcast. We're certainly going to talk about everything in the soccer world i'd be you know i wouldn't be doing a good job as a as a broadcaster here in the sport of soccer if i didn't cover you know the big events um but the real main theme and, and this is comes from what i've been doing now for for over 25 years that being a coach educator and being passionate about coach and player uh development the theme if you will will be about coach and player development uh, at every level whether you're you're a youth soccer coach in a small community whether you're a club coach you're a high school, you're a college, even a professional level. You're, you're all in the game of developing players. And developing players goes hand in hand, we hope, we think, uh, with coach development, with coach development. So everybody I speak to, uh, and there will be a lot of interviews here, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, everybody we speak to, the, the main premise of, of my in inquiry with them will be their take, their, their place in the world of coach and player development here in the United States, uh, in the sport of soccer, as well as where they they happen to be uh, in their own in their own lives, their own professional world. Uh, so it's not going to be just my voice. I don't I don't want you to just listen to my voice, which wouldn't be a bad thing. It's not a bad voice. I've been told I have good pipes, but it shouldn't be just my voice. Uh, you know, of opinion that you that you need to hear, and you should hear. You need to be open minded and listen to. Uh, all opinions, all all thoughts about the game, particular coach and, and player uh, education. 
uh, developments. Uh, so you can then create your own ideas, create create your own philosophy, and, and hopefully learn from all this. Uh, we'll try to be entertaining here. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to wear a blazer. I'm not going to be one of the grumpy old men like on other uh, other podcasts you may or may not listen to. But, you know, we're going to have some uh, have some fun here. We'll be entertaining. But more than anything else, folks, we try to be informative, uh, try to be insightful. And at the end of a, of a show or a series of shows, I'd like to think that you'll walk away enlightened. Yes, enlightened. You'll be that much smarter. As we say here in Boston, you'd be wicked smart. Okay. Um, so that's that's the show. That's GP Soccer Podcast. That's a little bit about who and what I am, uh, my passion for, for the radio and broadcasting, as well as uh, my, my noted passion for the sport of soccer and what we're all about here at, at, uh, uh, at, at GP Soccer Podcast. So with all that said, we might as well dive right into, just dive right into something heavy, dude, right off the bat. Uh, why not? No guts, no glory. So we hear a lot about the pay-to-play model here in the United States. Uh, we all know what that's all about. You're paying a certain fee, a certain amount of money for your child or children to play in a club environment or a youth soccer environment. And we know what, what, what that's all about in terms of you know what, what, what we're getting back. Uh, good or bad, pro or con, right or wrong, it's open for discussion, argument, whether that is the the way to develop players, or is it the Achilles heel of why we're not developing quality, creative players here in the United States? We develop a lot of players. Uh, okay players. We don't have, we've yet to produce a Lionel Messi, um, you know, a Neymar or, 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 or Maldini or any one of the, the, the greats that have, that have, uh, you know, graced soccer fields around the, around the world. We produce some some good players, and you know we we produced a handful, and I mean a handful. I'm looking at my fingers, and not using probably all my fingers, of of players that we could call world class. Now, let me let me add a caveat to that. Goalkeeping aside, goalkeeping aside, uh, goalkeeping is a different beast. We'll talk about that another day. Um, but in terms of creative players, not so much, not so much. And we try to we're going to dive into a lot of those issues and have guests on who will will talk about uh, you know why we're not there yet so let's talk about pay to play pay to play all right uh, I always say the following America's greatest strength is soccer's greatest weakness now what does that mean that sounds really prolific doesn't it well yes and no so America's greatest strength arguably okay is that if you've got an idea and you work hard, you can do anything in this country. That's the beauty of America. Hard work, vision, a passion. Uh, you can develop a, uh, an organization. You can start a business. Um, you can start a political movement, whatever the case may be. If you've got vision, you work hard, you can do something here in the United States of America, whether you're native born or you've come from a foreign country looking for uh, for something to do that you couldn't do in your home country, then America is the place to be. And what makes it arguably America a, a great, great nation. Now, how does that, how is that soccer's greatest weakness? Well, for the very, very same reasons, anybody, and I mean anybody, can start a soccer club. Anybody, and I mean anybody, can start a league. You can start an organization, right? Because it's America. You think you can do it better than the next person, or you want to do it to make a buck. Um, you know, running a club can be a very lucrative business. People make a living out of it, right? 
So on every street corner, I'm being facetious here, obviously, but on every street corner, virtually, you, there's, there's a soccer club. They're all over the place, right? So let's take a look at that portion, uh, the, the, the amount of soccer that's out there, because in America, you can build something. At the macro level, at the macro level, you've got several soccer entities here in the United States, because each one of these entities are, have their own agenda, their own vision, their own thoughts about how they want to... Uh, develop the game or, or, or implement the game or be a part of the game. You've got MLS, you've got, you know, US soccer, you've got USYS, uh, United Soccer Coaches. The list goes on and on and on uh, at the macro level, the large organizational level, uh, of groups of organizations that, that, you know, all think they're doing it the right way, the correct way, um, right, wrong, or different. We're not here to get into that discussion. Who, who's better? Who's not doing the right, uh, right, the right job? That's not where we're at here. At the micro level, as I noted earlier, there's a there's a club everywhere. There's a club everywhere. Some some towns have you know two and three clubs right in their in their little town. Um, you have one club, and then this person or group of people say, "Well, you know what? I don't like what's happening with this club. I'm going to go start my own club." Uh, well, I want to do a club with with this with this uh, this vision in mind. All of a sudden, at the macro level, and certainly at the micro level, the game in our country has become very fragmented. It's become very fragmented. You've got a million different entities doing things, well, their way, their way. It's fine. It's America. But what it does, it makes things very, very difficult to have a common vision, a sustained path toward developing high-level, world-class players. We've got too, we're, we've got too many entities. Now let's throw this in. Let's sprinkle this a little bit in in the conversation too, shall we? We're a huge country. We're huge. I just came back from Iceland to do some soccer research in the country of Iceland. I'm going to do an entire show on my trip to Iceland and the experiences I've had there. Right uh, now. Put things in perspective. Iceland is a small nation of 350,000 people. We have what almost 300 million here in the United States, and we dwarf Iceland geographically. I don't know how many times over, but what, what we do. Uh, so that is a challenge. But even with that said, there are ways that we can take the game in our country and we can break it down to make pieces of our country more more manageable, right? So pay to play. It ain't going away. It ain't going away because, as I said, everybody and their brother is starting a soccer club and a lot of people can make a lot of money at it. And uh, if you've got kids uh, that are going to play the game, you're going to have to pay. Here's here's my angle. This is Giovanni Pacini's angle on pay to play and where the power truly lies. OK, or who has the power, I should say, uh, to change this mindset of pay to play. So the analogy I use is you should look you, you as a parent, you as uh, someone who has their child or children playing in a, in a youth soccer organization or a club, you should look at the club like you look at your school systems. And you should look at your soccer fees like that you look at your taxes. Okay, you with me so far? So let's look at school systems. So let's, let's talk taxpayer. Let's talk school system. And let's have some things that I think we can all agree about that your tax dollars should go toward in terms of having a, a, a quality school and a quality school system. So what, what, what parents should be getting for their money? What bang should parents get for their money when they pay their taxes? Well, as a taxpaying parent, you should probably expect um, that every teacher is certified 
and qualified to teach the grade level they are assigned. If your kid is in kindergarten, you want that teacher to be certified and qualified as a kindergarten teacher, that they understand the where the child is in terms of their human development. They understand and can deliver the appropriate methods that one would teach a kindergarten. If your kid's in high school, your the teachers that are in the high school, if he's an algebra teacher, should be certified, qualified in that area, should be an expert in methodology, have be an expert in uh, uh, where the students are at in terms of their human development. You expect that. You, you expect that, that they be expert um, in the grade level that they're assigned. You expect that all these teachers are expert in the methodologies, right? And they stay up to date through professional development so that year in and year out, the methodologies are cutting edge, they're, they're appropriate, um, so, as to, as, so as to best uh, educate your child. Every teacher is an expert in the, in the area of behavior management. That's a tough one. I was a teacher for 24 years in my hometown when I left college and you know, got into teaching, as I noted earlier. I was, I was a teacher. And you know, it's a simple premise. Uh, you, you can't teach unless you manage behavior. You cannot teach unless you manage, can manage behavior. And that is an expectation you should have with your teachers. You'd want every teacher of your child to offer a challenging, uh, positive approach to teaching in their subject area. They, they just love what they do. I was a health and physical education teacher. I fully embraced that whole thing. I was a, kind of a fitness nut growing up. I was an athlete. I was active. And I understood at an early age the importance of, of health and fitness and that, that type of stuff. And I brought that enthusiasm, passion to the gymnasium or in the classroom when I was teaching health. Um, and I wanted to create a, an, an environment for the kids that was challenging, that, that they, you know, were, were forced. I, I made them work their brains. Now, truth be told here, I, was, I taught in an era where there was no technology. There was no computers. We were just getting them on our desk in my latter years of teaching. So it was, you know, you were, you, you didn't have the, 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 the method of, of, of laptops and, and, technology and computers and all that type of stuff. Um, but nonetheless, you still were required to, to make it a challenging and positive uh, environment. You should expect if you're a taxpaying parent that every classroom have a, a manageable amount of children, right? So you can ensure a quality student to teacher ratio. If you're a parent and your kid's in a class with 50 kids, you might be a little concerned, wouldn't you? Right? Now, if you're a parent and you're in your kid is in the class of say, I don't know, 15 or 20 kids, the the teacher student ratio would be more appropriate. You can live with that. That that should be an expectation. You would never. This is a no-brainer, and you'll see why I'm bringing this up a little bit. You would never want a school that would have two separate teachers with two separate groups of students in the same class, right? You'd never want that. That's that's you know you'd, you'd pull your hair out of your head. You know, picture Mr. Jones uh, with his group of kids facing one part of the room and, and Mrs. Smith in the other part of the room, uh, you know, uh, you know, both doing uh, uh, conducting their classes. You would never want that uh, for your certainly for your tax dollars. You, you wouldn't want teachers to, to be able to, to teach multiple grades, right? You wouldn't want the, your son or daughter's kindergarten teacher to be their first grade teacher, to be their second grade teacher, to be their third grade teacher. And so on, and so on, and so on. Right? You you would not tolerate that. As I noted earlier, you want teachers who are expert in the grade level of which they are teaching. You want every classroom to be equipped with the with the latest tools necessary for for teachers and students. 
right? You'd, you'd want, whether it's technology, uh, whatever tools are necessary for that, for that teacher to, to do their job. You, you, that's a reasonable expectation for your, for your tax dollars. Uh, you know, we, we, we talk about, uh, the learn to test ratio. What does that mean? Learn to test ratio. Okay. That sounds fancy, Giovanni. It's not fancy. So let's paint this picture. So your little Johnny or Janie comes home on Monday. Hey, what'd you do in school today? Well, we learned about, um, we learned about Mars Tuesday. Well, what'd you do in school today? Well, we had a test Wednesday. What'd you do in school today? Well, we had another test Thursday comes around. What did you do? Well, we learned about Saturn Friday comes along. What'd you do? Oh, we had another test. So you, you, you'd be a little concerned that there was too many tests and not enough learning. Stay with me, folks. Because when I flip the page here from tax paying to club fee paying, you're going to get these connections, right? But the expectations should be the same. School administrators, okay? You'd want school administrators who are expert in the grade levels of which they oversee, right? If, you're, if your child is in middle school, you'd want the administrators who are expert, certainly embrace middle school. I taught middle school for a little while. That could be why I don't have as much hair in my head as I used to. But nonetheless, you'd want ed- educate, uh, administrators who are expert in those grade levels. If, you're, if you, your child is an advanced student and they're, they're in a class, say they're, we'll use algebra again for just being arbitrary here, and they're cruising through, our, through, through algebra, it's easy. It's a piece of cake. They're bored. As a tax-paying parent, you would expect the school or school system to take your, your son or daughter and put them in a more advanced class so that they're challenged academically. That's, that's, we get them out of a, a boring zone. I'm not even going to use the word comfort zone. It, they're, they're boring, non-challenging zone and put them in a more, uh, uh, an appropriate environment that, that's in line with their academic needs. Conversely, if you if you if your child is struggling and they're, and they're, frustrated and they're not doing well when they're when they're tested and they're and they're getting turned off by by the class because they're just not doing well as a parent you would expect changes to be made for your child for that student so they're in an environment maybe with other children where they can be taught at at an appropriate level using methods that would be uh, more impactful toward their becoming more educated that is an appropriate expectation as a taxpayer right you you want a school system that ensures that the children of every academic level are taught and inspired accordingly. Every, every child of every level, the advanced placement kids, the middle of the road kids, uh, the, the, the folk, the, the children who are, who are struggling maybe a little bit academically, they're all taught and they're inspired accordingly. There is not a hierarchical system here. That's a reasonable expectation. You'd want your, your kid, your child to come home excited about what, what they learned that day. Hey, today we learned about Mars or Saturn or some algebraic uh, uh, formula, if you will. And at the end of it all, folks, at the end of that 12-year academic experience that the child graduates into society, not only academically sound, but intellectually sophisticated. Now, how's that one? How's that for a mouthful? You want them academically sound and intellectually sophisticated. Academically sound is, yeah, they know stuff. Intellectually sophisticated is taking that stuff they know and take it to other levels, take it to other levels of thought, right? So 
those are reasonable expectations as parents, don't you think? I think so. Um, so let's 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 change this now. So let's take out you know tax tax dollars or taxes, right? And school systems or schools, and let's talk about fee and club soccer. Most of the pay-to-play model here, when we talk about exorbitant costs, are, are associated with, with with club soccer, not so much uh, youth soccer. Uh, that's not to say youth soccer is cheap. Don't get me wrong. Don't be emailing me like you know, um, you know, you're paying a, a lot of money, uh, and you uh, you should know better, Pacini. So let's plug in this this idea of um, club fee and what you should be getting as a club. And now think back to some of the things I, I spoke about just over the last few minutes here, and you're going to see why I tie these things in. Every coach should be certified and qualified to teach the game at the age level they are assigned. Okay? Certified and qualified to teach the game at every age level they are assigned. If they are, for example, coaching a group of U6 players, then they should be certified through U.S. soccer or United Soccer Coaches, uh, uh, through, through coaching education that is specifically designed for the coach who is dealing with that age level. Just like the the teacher who has to go to college and get a degree and get a specialization in the age group that they, they wish to wish to teach. Soccer is no different. So you want every coach to be an expert in the methodologies necessary in order to effectively train the players, right? And, and, they, and they keep up with modern methods. So if I'm coaching a, 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 a U16 group of, group of kids, I understand the methodologies. I implement them. I'm expert at them, just like the, well, the U6 coach that I spoke about earlier. Yes, and every coach is an expert in the area of behavior management. Uh, the telltale sign is a little Johnny or Janie hanging from the trees uh, while a training session is taking place. There's a lot, not a lot of behavior management taking place there. So what else should a club soccer paying parent be getting for their for their money? Your coach should offer a challenging and positive approach to teaching the game. Positive approach to teaching the game. You can remain very positive without ever uh, undermining the importance of a session or the seriousness of a session. It can be very positive, yet still very, very serious. You want to make sure that every field have a manageable amount of children so as to ensure a, a high-quality player-to-coach ratio. Right? You don't want to have a coach who's got 60 kids at his or her disposal and, and, and it's their job for the day to take all these, I don't know, U10 kids, or U12 kids, and it's it's them. You would never, as we spoke about earlier, as a parent, you, you would never accept that. Well, you shouldn't accept it either when you send your child to the soccer field. There should be an appropriate player-to-coach ratio. And certainly, you'd never have a club with two separate coaches, with two separate teams playing on the same field. You wouldn't You wouldn't allow that. You'd want your team to have their field because if a coach is really going to do an effective job, ultimately, they bring the game to a full-sided game. We're going to get into methodologies in another show, but we'll get into the play-practice-play model that U.S. soccer is espousing now. But the play part, the play, especially the last play, is playing a soccer game. And you should have a the appropriate size field depending on, on the age group, certainly, um, so that you can play. You shouldn't put two teams, three teams, sometimes four teams. They cut it up in, in quarters there and give them a quarter of the field. That is something you should not uh, be cool with if you're a parent playing exorbitant fees for club soccer. 
<laughs> coaches should never be allowed to coach multiple teams or follow teams. I love that one. Well, I've been coaching these kids since they were six. Well, as we learned earlier, as we learned earlier, there's a reason why this kindergarten teaches and then first grade and then second grade and then third grade, so on and so forth. We have the same reason applies to soccer coaching or coaching in general. You should have your coaches who are expert in U6s and they're experts in U8s and U10s, U12, U14s, all the way up to the senior level player. And they should not be allowed to follow the team. They pass them on to the next coach who has the appropriate certification, experience, qualifications to then coach them at, at that level. You'd want, you'd want your field to be equipped with the latest equipment, appropriate equipment, just like the tools in the classroom. So the coach can organize the field, can manage the field um, to conduct an, an appropriate uh, training session. Appropriate practice to game ratio. Now, we could talk, and I will talk, maybe not today, but I will talk about in this country, we play too many games. You know, pay to play is a business. And um, I'm going to digress for a second. Pay to play is a, is a business. And when you pay your two, three, four, five thousand dollars for your club, people want stuff in return. You're gonna get a nice, you know, fancy uniform, give you a backpack, you know. Um, you're gonna play in, in, in this league um, in the spring. You're gonna play. You're gonna this league in the fall. We're gonna have indoor soccer. Uh, we're gonna go to five, six, seven, eight tournaments. This is the stuff, the stuff that. Uh, that uh, parents are getting a lot of games, a lot of leagues, a lot of tournaments, which heightens the cost. By the way, you're paying two or three or four thousand dollars. There's the travel expenses. There's a reason why uh, youth sports uh, is is a is a billion dollar industry. So, but what happens here? Let's circle back. So, what happens here? Practice the game ratio. Well, you're playing too many games. You're not practicing enough. Pure and simple. In first world soccer nations, of which the United States is not, is not. Um, They'll play once a week. They play on a Saturday or they play on a Sunday. Now we're talking youth soccer. Maybe they'll take the kids on two or three tournaments a year, a year, right? I just came back from Iceland. I visit with, with several clubs and they do just that. Two or three, two or three tournaments a year um, just to uh, uh, allow the kids to have a, a different type of environment of play. But they abide by the train the appropriate amount of times per week to one game on Saturday or Sunday. Okay. Let's move on here. So you would expect with your club for the club fee that you're paying, uh, that the administrators, the people who are overseeing the club, the DOC in particular, that they're expert relative to the age levels of players of which they oversee. So your DOC, if you have one DOC, that DOC should be an expert with every age group. In other words, if you put that DOC on the field, with a group of six-year-olds, he or she should be able to bang out a quality, appropriate uh, pr training environment for those sixes. Take that DOC off the field, say, okay, go over there and train those U12s. Bang. In an instant, go over there and apply the appropriate methodologies that would be a, would, 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 uh, would serve you to conduct an appropriate U12 training session. You get my point. They need to be expert. And if it means you're going to have two people, all right, you need someone who's who's uh, a DOC for ages 5 to 12, great. If you need a DOC for the senior level players, 13 through the senior level, so be it. But they should be expert at the age levels um, of the plays of which they oversee. 
We talked earlier about the school. If your if your kid's really uh you know advanced, you you move them out. Soccer's no different. You would expect for your club doll that advanced players are moved to a more challenging athletic environment, and for those who struggle, a, a more appropriate environment in line with their needs. So if a little Johnny or Janie are are just dribbling through everybody because maybe they're a little bit bigger, maybe they're a little stronger, they're a little bit faster, they, they've developed faster than their counterparts on the field. Well, you take them out of that age group and you bump them up. You bump them up to the next age level. There, in that more challenging environment, is where they're going to then improve. Instead of just cruising through the, you know, through through the field, all, all the players and scoring goals at will, now their navigation through the field is now a little bit more challenging. And they have to think more and think better and react faster. That best serves that player's need. And conversely, if you've got little Johnny or Jenny out there who just can't keep up and they're, they're struggling uh, and people are running them over, like the kid I just talked about who needs to get bumped up, move them to another level so that they can perform. And you can still look to develop them. That movement has to take place. That's a tough one, folks. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, there are social implications that are tied along with that. That That's a tough one. Not going to lie. Uh, let's move on. We want to make sure, uh, let's see here, that, that the club ensures that the players of every ability level are taught and inspired accordingly. From from Johnny, who's struggling, to to Billy, who's, you know, the the, the better players on the team. And, and at the end of the day, you know, your, your kid wants to come home excited about about what they learned on the soccer field or what they experienced on the soccer field. And at the end of it all, I talked about, you know, the school system that you should be graduating someone who's academically sound but intellectually sophisticated. From a soccer standpoint, at the end of that 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 multi-year, uh, let's call it athletic experience, that the player, quote-unquote, big quotes here, graduates to not only being fundamentally sound, but creative. But creative. That's what you should you should expect um, when you play you pay your 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 club fees. Um, the same type of things you you're expecting from your school systems. So pay to play ain't going away, folks. It's not going away. This is America. We talked about it earlier. This is a land of opportunity. You can make a buck. You can make a lot of bucks uh, in soccer, and, and that's fine. But the power rests in the hands of parents to change what are, what is being sold. So, so instead of being sold a lot of games, too many games, and not enough practicing, let's let's flip this so that we we look at uh, our clubs like we look at our school systems, and we're developing creative players, and not we're going to you know fifteen tournaments this year and we're banging out fifteen twenty thousand dollars when it's when it's all said and done. Um, that's the pay to play model. So we're going to take a break here, and uh, on the other side of the commercial break. Uh, I'm going to come back with today's offsides. Well, what is that, Giovanni? What is offsides on every show? Uh, we'll talk about something that, uh, you know, maybe needs a little bit of improvement, something that needs to be highlighted, highlighted for, well, maybe all the wrong reasons. I don't know, but they're offsides. They're offsides. So we'll see you on the other side for today's offside. Don't go anywhere. The GP Soccer Podcast is brought to you by GP Soccer your one-stop shopping for coach, player, goalkeeper, and organizational development. Contact GP Soccer for private and small group training, as well as guest speaking for your organization's special events. Are you a DOC or an administrator in a youth soccer organization? 
Do you wish to ensure that you and your organization are operating at its very best? To answer that important question, rely on GP Soccer Consulting. Through objective and thorough analysis, GP Soccer can assess these areas of your organization. Player development, coaching development and education, goalkeeper development, organizational infrastructure, and implementation of best practices. GP Soccer is owned and operated by Giovanni Pacini, an elite United Soccer Coaches master coach who also serves as a member of its national staff and national goalkeeper staff. In addition, Pacini is a USYS East Regional Staff Coach as well as an ODP Staff Coach for New Hampshire North. With an extensive background in education, business, and soccer coaching, Giovanni is your go-to resource for the best in all aspects related to the game of soccer. Contact GP Soccer at 617-968-1800 or via email at GP, the number 4, soccer at yahoo.com and be sure to visit the GP Soccer website at gp-soccer.com. And we're back. We're back. We're back. So, like I mentioned earlier, each show at the, the end of our broadcast, we're going to have offside. So picture, if you will, I'm going to be like a, an AR and I'm going to be raising the flag and, and uh, calling someone or something or some entity or something in here in the, in soccer, in the soccer world offside. So who's offside today? Well, uh, staying kind of in line with the theme of today's show, uh, that being pay-to-play, and we, we, and we talked about a lot of aspects of pay-to-play, a lot of things we could probably call offside. I'm going to focus in on um, those people who are, uh, quote-unquote, coaching. You, you can't see the big air quotes here, but I'm putting air quotes around coaching, who, um, for whatever reason, have not gone out and taken advantage of coaching education. We talked about in today's show the importance of having people who are certified, who are qualified to coach slash teach the age uh, group that they are teaching. Too many people out there uh, are not taking advantage of coaching education, whether it's through U.S. soccer or through United Soccer Coaches. Uh, I hear often the idea, well, you know, I'm just a volunteer. I'm just volunteering. Well, I'm just doing this to coach my kids. And I understand that. But being a volunteer does not exempt you from uh, taking on the responsibility, assuming the care and concern of the children you are overseeing those few hours a week and a few hours on, on, on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, indeed, there are opportunities, easy opportunities, both online and live, where you can uh, become better educated. You do a disservice to the child, to the children to the players, and to your team, quite frankly, if you go on, on the field without the appropriate knowledge. Check out United Soccer Coaches, U.S. Soccer. Uh, some things, like I said, could be done online, but you are offsides, offsides if you step on the field without being certified and qualified. So that's today's show. Listen, if you like what you heard today, listen, tell everyone. Um, if not, We'll tell everyone everyone anyway, all right? Uh, if you'd like to advertise on the GP Soccer Podcast, you can contact me at gp4soccer. That's the number four, gp4soccer at yahoo.com, 617-968-1800. We can talk about advertising. So this is Giovanni Piccini, and I'll catch you later. <laughs>